scary world. Hey, everybody. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie. I'm Sarah. And this is Dead Time Stories. Welcome to episode 42. 42. Yeah, because the one that we just did was 41. We're cranking them out. This is, I feel like, of the times this month that we've planned to record two episodes this in a day. This is the only time it's this happened. This is the only time we've actually gotten to record two episodes in a day. Not the only time ever, but the only time that it was planned, planned this week or this month and we actually got to do it. So, third time's a charm. Yeah. Made how, it happen. How about them apples? How about it? How about that? Cash me outside. How about that? Cash me in the courting room. How about that? What's new with you? Since we recorded. Five minutes ago? Yeah. Um, I went to the bathroom. So did I. I told you about a dream I had about Val. You did. I had a dream about Val. Two um, of you at Six Flags. I got to figure out when I'm going to go to Six Flags again. With Val. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and anyone else who wants to come. Make I you, love Six make Flags. Make your dream come true. I also love... I like amusement parks in general. I was like, last time I went... To fuck? This thing... Oh, oh my God. This is doing something really weird. Oh no! Oh no! I don't like that. It's like you hit. You gotta hit stop. Stop. Okay, let's see if this works now. I hope so. I'm not hearing anything weird right now. That was strange. It sounded like the start of a horror movie in my headphones. Like I don't know if I'm gonna start it, but it was. It it sounded like I could almost see it like glitching, like a glitch in the Matrix. Like Uh I heard this fuzzy sound, and then. I would say something, and then I hear the fuzzy sound, and then I would hear what I just said right back, like in a repetition, like reverb. It's it was an scary. Dimension where we're also recording this episode. Oh today. my god, are we in an episode of Black Mirror? It's called Life, Sarah. <sighs> You're right. <laughs> I'm so excited <laughs> about Twilight. <laughs> about Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone. Yeah. Also, that was a dollar and thirty cents. Ching. Um, yes, I'm so... Did you watch the latest trailer that was just released for it? Yes and no. I know that I watched it, but I've been around multiple people who are watching it, and I can't see it, but I can hear it. And so I've heard it multiple times. There's a lot of visual cues. Oh, I'm sure. God, I, I'm a big Twilight, original Twilight Zone fan. I've been watching it for years. Like, I love the twilight zone and when they put all of them on netflix i just binged all of them um but of course jordan peele has been doing amazing things in the horror industry and i'm so excited to watch him take them on and then they release this trailer and in the trailer there's a lot of little easter eggs and like you can tell that they're going to be doing certain episodes that are remakes of the classic episodes yeah because i think i saw adam scott on a plane adam scott's doing a remake of the yeah he's doing a remake of that one um uh, who's the other person they're also doing another remake i just thought it was funny because they're doing remakes of um why did i just forget captain kirk's name william shatner william shatner they're doing both of the main william shatner episodes which are the man on a plane and then the um the time traveling wish machine that's got the devil on top and you put a quarter in and it tells you your future but that future comes true in a diner I don't know if I know that one. That's a great episode. No, I know there's something on the wing of this plane because it's William Shatner, and Mm -hmm. then when they did the Twilight Zone movie in the 80s, it was John Lithgow. Yeah. There's also, I'm going to assume, and this is me going out on a limb, here's my assumption about what all he's going to do. He's got to do a remake. Well, he is doing. So the one that I also saw about, it's got a kid on a tricycle and what looks like him taking over as president of the United States, but he's a kid. And it's got some hintings of like the Shining um, sort of throwbacks or whatever. I'm thinking that that's going to tie into the story of the boy who could wish people into the cornfield. Yeah. I think that that's going to tie that story in together, which they also made the movie based off of that, that story. fucking horrifying. Have you seen the original episode about it? No. Because it is terrifying. I saw the the one from the 80s with, that was directed by John Landis, and it's just like, whoa. The first one's, because it's the old, grainy, black and white. Right. It's all, you know, everyone is from olden times as it seems but it's this fucking kid and everyone is bowing down to this kid because if he just wishes he wishes you into a cornfield and then at one point spoiler alert you guys he wishes and turns this guy into a real life jack-in-the-box 
but you don't see it. You just see the shadow. Yeah. So you see him like wish and you hear the guy saying no, no, no. And then you just see a shadow of a Jack in the box with like a human head on it. And you know that he turned this guy into a Jack in the box and yeah. it's so fucking creepy. So I know Jordan Peele's definitely got to tackle that episode. I'm really hoping he'll also tackle the big episode that everyone knows where I can't remember what it's called. Maybe it's called too much time or not enough time. Um, but it's where the guy who loves to read but never gets enough time to read ends up going down to the bankrupt. Right. Yeah, and, and the apocalypse the, happens to him. And then his glasses break, right? Spoiler, he breaks his glasses. Yeah, and can't read. That's a great episode. Because in Futurama, there's an episode yeah. where there's, like, the nod to that. And, like, his glasses break. And he's like, oh, well, that's okay because I can still read the large print books. And then his eyeballs fall out. And he's, like, screaming. And then he's like, well, okay, like, at least I know Braille. And then his hands fall off. Yeah. Because it's, it's such a classic, because at the time that it happened, it was such a big, <gasps> right? And he's like, there was time now. Yes. There was time. Yeah. And it does, it breaks your heart watching it. You're just like, no, not his glasses. Uh, so I'm hoping Jordan Peele tackles that. Otherwise, I'm just so excited. My favorite Twilight Zone episode is the episode with the mannequins. That's my absolute favorite oh, one. I the mannequins. There's, um, it starts with this woman going into a department store and um, feeling really weird and feeling like the mannequins are looking at her. And they do this really, the mannequins back then were super fucking creepy. All mannequins are creepy. Um, so they show this thing where she almost feels like they're looking at her and talking to her. And they do like close-ups with the music, like, bow, mannequin. Yeah. And then she ends up getting, like, knocked out or something. And she ends up falling asleep in a supervisor's office in the department store and wakes up in the middle of the night, goes up to the top floor. Of course, she goes through weird occurrences trying to find her way out. Ends up going up to the top floor, is met with all the mannequins, and all the mannequins start talking. And they're like, thank God you finally came back. We were worried you weren't actually going to come back. And Turns she's out she's a mannequin. a mannequin. And each of them gets 24 hours to be a human and go out into the world, but they have to come back. Just like Kim Cattrall. Yeah. Except they, I think they only get it once a year. And they sometimes would forget that they were mannequins, which is why they were like, we had to lead you back in. Like, we were afraid you were never going to come back. And she's like, oh, my God, I'm a mannequin. Ah, ah, ah. The, it's creepy. The one I always remember, because um, I remember seeing it as a kid, is the one with all the people with the fucked up pig faces. Oh, yeah, and that one, too. And the lady who looks like... A normal she, face. Like a normal person, right? But they all talk about, like, how hideous she is, right? And, like, to give her surgery to make her look... And you only see it from her point of view, which is really cool. Yes. It's just such a good show. I was like, it holds up so... I was like, there's also the episode where the people put on the masks, and then the masks end up becoming their faces. Oh, it's just... It's so good. The whole series is so good. If you have a chance to go back and rewatch the originals, they are so well worth your time. And then when the Jordan... And nothing is creepier than Rod Serling. He did a really good job with that persona, which is why, again, I think... That's uh, the original host, right? Yes. I I just think that uh, Jordan Peele's going to do a really good job with it. I'm excited. I'm really excited. So, yeah. That's all I got. Stephanie. Y'all, Y'all ready, ready to talk, talk about some ghosts? ghosts? Sarah, what are you talking about this week? Well, this week I'm really excited to talk about this. Um, it's not a ghost story in the... It's more along the conspiracy theory lines. Ooh, I love those, though. And uh, my story is about someone who just released a new album who we haven't heard from in a while. And they just released a new album, but they died in 2003 and they've been replaced by a doppelganger and that doppelganger. And that person is Miss Avril Lavigne. Avril Lavigne died in 2003, and she's had a doppelganger named Melissa carrying on her career, and I got the facts and the receipts to prove it. Okay. Tell me about it. Yeah. So this is a big conspiracy theory that's been going on for a while, and it started on a Portuguese fan page. Okay. Um, So I don't have – I have a lot of hearsay and, like, some stuff, but she did – Avril Lavigne, if that's her real name, Avril Lavigne just released a new album, and she's also been talking – Talking, tackling and talking about these rumors. Um, of course... Is she sh- still married to the guy from... Which one? Sum 41 or Nickelback? Say, I was going to say, first she was married to the guy from Sum 41, yes. then she was married to the guy from Nickelback, right? Yes. And she's, she's still married to the guy no, from Nickelback? No. They're divorced. not married to either one of them yeah. anymore. Okay. That's also part of my defense on why she died. 
or why she's dead. That's proof. Because real Avril Lavigne would have never married the lead singer from Nickelback. Are you kidding me? Yes, real Avril Lavigne, no. All right, so here's my thought. And here's what people say. So She would have been like... She would have been like, it's complicated. Oh, see, yeah, I was going to be like, she would have been like, see you later, boy. <laughs> um, so this conspiracy, again, is mainly linked back to a Portuguese web page. Um, but it's all online. And a lot of people have like pictures of their reasonings why Avril isn't the real Avril, blah, blah, blah. But the biggest thing that's said is that when um, Avril Lavigne hit her peak of her fame right after skater boys and complicated she couldn't really take all of the media attention and her and her label ended up hiring a doppelganger to go out and do media releases and like handle some of that fame side now is that documented back. and true or is that all part of is the any thing? of this documented okay, okay. and true so just ride on this ride with me. Okay, okay. Um, so she couldn't handle it, and she was like, I need to get a body double. So her body double's name is Melissa Vandella. I thought it was maybe like that rumor that Taylor Swift was traveling around in a suitcase. That was true. But then turned out right. I was like, but then turned out to actually be true. So Avril Lavigne is dead, and Melissa has taken her place. All right, so Melissa, um, she'd step in for her important events, basically be Avril. Um, and they apparently, according to sources unknown, became close friends, and um, Avril would, like, teach Melissa how to sing like her. Oh, gosh. Um, but a lot of people say that if you listen to Avril's music now compared to her music when she first came out, her voice is a little bit higher now than it used to be. Um, on top of the fact that she seems to be making more and more music that's not as angsty, grungy, but way more just, like, superficial pop bullshit, which is another reasoning why they say that Avril died in 2003, and since then her music has been shit, because she's not Avril Lavigne anymore. I mean, it was not... It wasn't great <clears throat> to begin with. It's fine. Who knows? Um, so everyone says... Here's a few things. People say that her handwriting is different now, um, and that, you know... No one changes their handwriting ever. So her handwriting is different now. There's also people claiming that um, real Avril has more freckles than old Avril. Circling and pointing out, here's new Avril. has got extra freckles, and old Avril didn't have those freckles. Stop. So there, I don't know what more proof you want. Um, but apparently in 2003, what happened is... Avril Lavigne couldn't take the pressure and was depressed, and she killed herself. And rather than letting that news she spread... She self-associate with the ties? No, I think a lot of people said she... What did I say? I think a lot of people said that she just, like, drug overdosed, or well, she Melissa, shot herself. Did like, single white female that shit? She might have. Melissa wanted that wanted that gig. Um, people say and they hint that uh, Melissa has dropped hints to Avril dying, and the main track that they reference that is proof that Avril is dead and Melissa is holding up this charade is in her song "Slipped Away," and one of the lyrics is, "It wasn't fake. It happened. You passed by. Now you are gone. Now you are gone. There you go. There you go. Somewhere I can't bring you back." And the whole album is like someone being gone. Um, <clears throat> just get on with this because I think she, I'm convinced. She wasn't singing to the guy from Nickelback? No. She was She was singing to dead Avril Lavigne. Okay. Um, also, apparently, Avril's eyes are different now. So on the right is real Avril. And on, or on your left is real Avril. And on your right is fake Avril. And obviously, those eyes are different. It's not just makeup. Obviously, look at them. That's a different it person. Just looks like different look makeup. in those eyes. That's a different person. Avril Lavigne died in 2003. Fight me. R.I.P. Avril. Um, let me see if I can find any more of my. I mean, look at that. That's not even the same person. She. Since when did she have one blonde hair? One of them is red haired and one, one of them, them is blonde. blonde. One of them's wearing a tie with a t shirt and one of them's wearing a fucking necklace like a lady. Avril died. Melissa. You're looking at Melissa. Uh, a lot of people also rumor that her nose is slightly slimmer than it used to be. Um, so, of course, that's another reason why she's dead. Um, conspiracy theorists would have also speculated that 
Um, the reason for her killing herself had to do with her grandfather's death in 2003 and that she was super distraught by his death and that sadness led her to kill herself, in which case Melissa stepped in and carried on her success as opposed to the label getting rid of her. Um, in So this whole theory and everything, again, mainly traces back to a Portuguese website. Yeah. And then since then, like, other people have jumped on it. It was on Twitter. This probably started gaining notoriety in, like, 2016, 2017. We saw a lot of it and people being like, oh, my God, her eyes look different. Oh, my God, her mouth looks different. Oh, my God, her her voice sounds different. She doesn't dress the same. Her music isn't the same. Like, what the fuck happened to Avril? She's dead. Um... However, the original people who made that Portuguese website on their Facebook page, they went in and made a, um, I guess it would be an official statement. It's on Facebook. But they made a statement saying that they never actually intended or meant for what they said about Avril being dead to be fact. They only wanted to use it as proof on how quickly conspiracy theories will spread on the internet, which of course just makes us all believe that she actually is dead and you're just trying to cover up your tracks because you were onto something. But apparently this past Wednesday, um, Avril, if that's her real name, has been making the rounds promoting her new album. And she had an interview with an Australian radio DJ where they, they brought that up, where they said, did you laugh at the rumors that went around where you no longer exist and there's a clone of you? And she apparently replied, yeah, some people think that I'm not the real me, which is so weird. Like, why would they even think that? I'm definitely Melissa and not Avril. Um that last part isn't true, but I wish that she said that. Um, so a lot of people also, again, because Avril Lavigne retreated from the spotlight for a while, for like five or six years, because she said she was battling with Lyme disease. They're like, that's bullshit. None of that's real. It's definitely all Melissa. Um, <laughs> Avril Lavigne's on her on her tour promoting her new album, and a few people have asked her about this conspiracy, and every single time she's like, that's so weird, that's so dumb. I'm definitely me. I'm not. I didn't get replaced by a lookalike. I just, like, grew up and look a little different. I'm not that's a lizard person. so weird. Um, so Avril Lavigne died in 2003 and has been replaced by a girl named Melissa, but, you know, if you still think it's Avril, that's cool for you. I'm going to post the proof online. That's all I got. (laughs) Okay. You have questions? I gave you all the proof. I'm just... Homegirl's dead. (laughs) What is that what happened to Amanda Bynes? (sighs) Don't come at me with Amanda Bynes. You know, she is my favorite of all favorite people. I know. I know you love Amanda Bynes. Amanda Bynes just got in with the wrong crowd. She's trying to bring it back around. She's she trying is. to clean herself up. She's she doing okay. Is. She's looking good these days. Amanda, are you listening? I wish you were. I'm such a big fan. Oh, Amanda. Amanda, please. Are you an Amanda Bynes fan? Email us. Do you okay. think Avril Lavigne isn't dead? Come at me. I'll fight you. I got the proof. I got the internet proof. Her eyes look different. Her voice sounds different. It's not just different makeup. She, she's not just 15 she's years not older. She's the same. She used to only wear pants. Now she wears dresses. What the fuck is that Never. about? Never in my life. She's dead. Why'd she have to go make things so complicated? She's, you know, Melissa is acting like she's somebody else, and it gets me frustrated. She acts like this where... <laughs> She was a body double. Avril said, just take the job. You fall, You're trying to you figure out how to make a job. You take, your you life. take what you get. And, and you let Melissa take your job and your career and, and your life. And honestly, you're never going to find me vacant. Avril. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> people in high school, I used to wear ties in high school. And people asked me if I wore ties because I liked Avril Levine. And then I had to stop wearing ties because people used to ask me that all the time. And I was like, no. I got pictures of me wearing ties with T-shirts. I'm not proud of it. And I didn't just wear, I wore like button-ups and stuff too. I was like, I'm this. I work with T-shirts. I was like, I'm this kind of lesbian for a while. (laughs) 
Because like, that's who I am for a minute. This is me now. I, that was totally. God, I wish I had. There was that a way. Snap. It was so God, good. It was so good. It was the best. Every time Snapchat I watch that episode, I've ever sent I'm to like, anybody. God, fuck, that's so great. This is me now. This is me now. This is me now. That's Melissa taking over Avril's role. Right. This is me now. That's her. I'm Avril. The first time she right, the first time she put on the eyeliner and the tie, she was like, "This is me." Now. They also have a picture of Avril Lavigne at some sort of a press event, and she has Melissa written on her hand. So stop! I hate you. Not gonna say it's true, but uh, it's true. It's fact. She did. She did. What are you talking about? You gonna top that story? Doubt it. I'm gonna try. <laughs> well, what I'm talking about is is real. Like there's receipts. Like mine, real why do you think mine isn't real? Okay. Stephanie. <laughs> Fair enough. So. Tell me about your real story. Continuing on like I did in the last episode. So I became obsessed with this other true crime podcast that if y'all are into it and you can sit through it is the best true crime podcast I've ever listened to. What do you mean if y'all can sit through it? How long is it? Is it long or? No, I, I mean, it's only like eight episodes. I mean, it was for me difficult to listen to. Oh. Because it is messed okay, 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 up. Okay. So we are talking about Dr. Christopher Dunch. And this podcast is also from Wondery and it's called Dr. Death. That's what I thought you were about to go with. Yep. All right. Hit me with yes. this. So um, Dr. Christopher Dunch was working out of Dallas, Texas, actually. Um, and most of this stuff took place. Sorry, I meant to have this other thing already open. Oof! I just saw his. I just realized I've never seen his picture before, and it just came up, and it's like, wow. So Christopher Daniel Dunch is a former neurosurgeon who has been nicknamed Doctor D and Doctor Death for gross malpractice resulting in the death and maiming of several patients while working at the Baylor, Plano, and Dallas Medical Center in Dallas. Dunge was convicted of various crimes on February 20th, 2017. He is only 47 years old at this time. He was born in 71. Oh, my gosh. Um, but this was just, yeah, like, so the most of these events happened in, like, from 2005 to, or 2015 to 2016. Okay. Um. So Dunch completed the MD-PhD program and the neurosurgery residency program at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center and subsequently completed a spine fellowship program there as well. Supposedly. Dunch began operating in Texas in 2010. He moved to Dallas to work at Baylor Plano. After several botched surgeries, he resigned and left for Dallas Medical Center where he was employed for less than a week before he was dismissed by administrators after the death of another patient. Oh, my gosh. There is no information available indicating what investigation the state licensing agency did or if the hospital notified the Texas Medical Board. Afterward, he received a job, because <laughs> he was still working, at an outpatient clinic named the Legacy Surgery Center. Did they not call his referrals? Like, did they not call his previous employers? So here's the thing, and you will learn about this from this podcast as well, about how fucked the medical industry is. Because basically, you can get sued for, like, slander or libel if you say that somebody was, like, a terrible doctor or something, even if they fucking did. So usually when there's a problem like this where with a surgeon, they're very rarely fired and the medical board is very rarely notified they're just their privileges at that hospital are revoked and they'll go to another hospital and be like i've done surgeries here here and here and they might call and be like yeah did he do surgeries there and they'd be like yeah <laughs> and they would just hire him they don't so be this... like so what's his success rate no he was able to bounce around with very little like notice and ultimately the only reason it was brought to the attention of anyone is because of a surgeon who was asked to come in and fix a patient that he had horribly maimed. And that surgeon came in and was like, either this person is horribly incompetent as a neurosurgeon or they're an imposter and they're not really a neurosurgeon. That's how bad his surgeries were. Where someone was like, he might not even be a real surgeon. Like you I got fucking Count Olaf. He might have killed there. the real Dr. Dunge and assumed his identity. <laughs> like this guy looked into that. So there's a doctor named Dr. Robert Henderson. 
And he was a veteran spinal surgeon in Dallas where he got an unusual phone call from a local hospital. A new surgeon had operated so poorly that a patient who had walked in on her own two feet now couldn't even wiggle her toes. Dr. Henderson had seen a lot, but he wasn't prepared for this. The surgery was so bad, in fact, he asked himself whether the person could possibly be an imposter impersonating a physician. So Dr. Dunch was working on one woman whose name I believe is Floella Brown, and he had a surgery on her, right? And she woke up in horrible pain and she went into the ICU. And the next day he was supposed to have another surgery. And Dr. Henderson was saying that if that happens, like if you're if you have a patient who's like not doing well, you don't take another surgery. You either postpone that or you ask someone else like about, you know, fixing it. But you attend to the person who is already hurting. And he didn't do that. He was like, well, she's in ICU. and On to the next one. I'm going to go into this other patient and work on the second woman. And in the second woman, he put in a screw in her spine that the nurses were like, that's not in the right spot. The nurses said that. And he was like, I'm the doctor. You're the nurses. Like, I know where the screw is supposed to go. And it's in bone. And they were like, no, it's in muscle tissue it's not in bone and um when dr henderson went in to check it out um the she was complaining like she couldn't move her legs she couldn't move her feet or anything and he went in to go see what had happened so there was like the plan that dr dunch had but it didn't look like anything that what he did was what was on his plan so like while his plan made sense where it was like okay i'm gonna go in here i'm gonna cut this i'm gonna put this here that all made sense but he didn't do anything that was on the plan and the screw was just floating in muscle tissue. And then he went to follow her nerve bundle to see where the, like why she couldn't move her legs and the nerve root for her legs was gone. (gasps) Like he had just cut it out. So do you, is the speculation that he knew he's just a psychopath who knew what he was doing? If he found that nerve bundle and cut it out. So the plot, continues to thicken as you can possibly imagine there's still this under like this question of was he maliciously like purposefully hurting people or was he just genuinely that incompetent and when they went into and this i can't remember how they explained how he got through his residency like this but he in your residency you're supposed to see like thousands like over a thousand surgeries he in his residency had witnessed less than a hundred in his time in residency oh my gosh and it just slipped through the cracks and just slipped through the cracks mm-hmm. yeah yeah fucking horrifying God. Okay. So, right. so then he had this friend um all through college whose name was jerry Uh, And they were really, really great friends. And Jerry, like, did everything with him. So Chris Dunch was a promising medical student with a bright future ahead of him. The friends who knew him were shocked at the doctor he would later become. Not Chris, they said. That's not the man I know. The Chris Dunch they knew was driven, hardworking, smart, with a twinkle in his eye. And no one believed they knew Chris Dunch better than his best friend, Jerry Summers. So Jerry um, was kind of like his yes man and his problem solver. And Jerry would, like help him with whatever. And one of the things that they talked about with Chris is, and they about Dr. Dunch talked a lot about his determination and how there had been many setbacks in his life that he basically just wouldn't accept the setback. And he would try again and again and again. Right. Like, like thinking like if he just did it over and over again, he could get it right. Which I'm like, that's horrible to take that into being a doctor where he's like, just let me just let me work on that spine again. Let me let me go back into that spine. One of the things in the woman with the screw was there was a place where he had three times drilled the screw in, taken it out, tried to get it in the right place, took it back out, tried to get it back in the right place. There were holes in like her spine and the muscle around it where he had tried to put it in and taking it back out multiple times. And one of his college friends was talking about how he used to play football and he would do these drills that all the team would do these drills and he just couldn't get them 
right. And he would stay with the coach and he would say, like, can you show me how to do that again? And he would run it again and he would still not get it right. And he would just do it over and over and over again for hours. Like nobody worked as hard as Chris trying to perfect what he was getting wrong. But he wasn't a natural at anything. Like there was nothing that he was really like just good at like he was very charming but anything that he did like they just talked about like oh he's such a hard worker like he's so determined he's got a lot of heart right um which is not anybody who should have been involved in the medical industry no so jerry his best friend had some pain in his neck and he was like i'm gonna i'm gonna get my good friend chris to fix it so he took jerry under the knife and he was going for a disc in the back of his neck and he took out a piece of basically of his spinal column to the point where his neck and his body could no longer support his head (gasps) and he became a paraplegic (gasps) or no sorry a quadriplegic like uh paraplegic is when you're half paralyzed no he was quadriplegic he was fully paralyzed paralyzed from the neck down from the neck down um and his body like he couldn't he could never be, like, alone anymore. You know what I mean? Like, he has lived the rest of... He's still alive. Has had to live the rest of his life in constant medical care. Like, he can't... Is he still friends with... No. Yeah. No. That's how you have to be, like... not friends anymore with Dr. Dunch. But that was his, his best friend that that happened to. Yeah, bitch. I know. What is... What is... What does Dr. Fuckface have to say about that? Oops. As we continue on, <laughs> oh. he so his case because he was taken to trial. Um, it was the first time it was unprecedented, not just in Texas but like anywhere that someone had been tried in a criminal like court of law for something they did in an operating room because a malpractice huh. suit is a civil suit. Yeah, it's not really like yeah. it's not. You like a felony is usually like you're being sued by someone for malpractice and you can lose your license, but no one had ever been like taken to court like in a criminal law proceeding for something they did in an operating room because the whole thing that they had to prove was malice. They had to prove the intent because malpractice, like you can sue somebody for having an accident for like messing something up, but they had to prove that he like willfully hurt these people that he knew that what he was doing was going to injure and maim these people. Okay. Did did they find him guilty? Was he found guilty? Yes. Did he have the intent of harming these people? Yes and no. He didn't. It doesn't seem like he tried to hurt these people. He was just genuinely so unaware of his incompetence. Like his hubris and his ego like did not allow him to realize like he couldn't do it he just kept thinking if i just keep trying i'll get him next time i'm gonna get it right and all of the things that went wrong he was convinced were like that's a fluke like this thing happened that shouldn't have happened this part was in a place where it shouldn't have been like all the things he genuinely like had convinced himself that they were all like that's not common like that happened because this was what was wrong with her not because he was an incompetent surgeon and the thing that like the thing that makes me really think that is like what they talk about in the court like he just he very much felt like he seemed to appear like well all these people can say that they think i did wrong but they don't know surgery like i'm a surgeon i know what i did no 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 no, no. you don't know surgery either you've just proved it well here's that's what i was gonna say so it wasn't until they brought in other spinal surgeons to talk about his mistakes and what he did wrong that it really started to sink in that he was a fucking horrible surgeon. It wasn't until other surgeons said it. When nurses or people he worked on, they were, he, they're like, well, you don't know. Like, I saw your spine and this is what I do. And I know you, you're in a lot of pain. But it's not because I messed up. It's because this is what's wrong with your spine. This is what's wrong with your disc. This is what's wrong with your back. Like, he was convinced that none of it was, like, because he was terrible at what he What did he, he tell doing. his friend? No, your head has always been that heavy. Your spine just finally couldn't take it no, anymore. No, just that, like, when he got in there, there was a... He thought it was a tumor, and, like, there was a tumor in there, and that was what was pressing on whatever. It was a nerve bundle. 
And then he took out a disc that supported the spinal column because he didn't know what the fuck he was doing. And Dr. Henderson, after he had gone in to look at this woman's spine to see the, the you know, everything that he had done, uh, Dr. Henderson was like, you know, of the staff that was in that room, you know, the nurses, the practitioners, whoever, all those other people that were in there, I think any other person in that room could have done a better spinal surgery than what Dr. Dunch did to this woman. Any other person in that room could have done a better job. Yeah. So um, there was a person that he was dating who was like working for him. Oh, and the other thing, sorry, in those first two cases um, where like those two women who were back to back, the nurse who was with him on the first surgery had noticed like he had been coming in, which we talked about scrubs with (laughs) Dirty John. But he came in in the same scrubs three days in a row. And he was like, I knew they were the same scrubs because there was a hole in the butt of the of the scrubs and he didn't wear underwear. Right. And he was like, and I saw that hole. I saw his like butt cheek. Like I saw him wearing those same clothes three days in a row to do spinal surgery, to cut people open and deal with their fucking back. And he couldn't change and his clothes. he didn't wash clothes. his clothes. Was he living out of a bag too? <laughs> what the fuck he was doing um but he was clearly disheveled he looked like he hadn't shaved he looked like he might be on something after a while they thought he might be on cocaine that he'd been drinking a lot um there were multiple times where he would someone would tell him they were going to drug test him and cocaine gets out of your system very quickly it gets out of your system in like three or four days and he would either like you know like oh i got a flat tire like it's not gonna work today (laughs) like he would get out of it for a few days so that by the time he tested he was clean But everyone was pretty sure he had a cocaine problem. So there's all that. Um, So the the bigger thing at play is how did this continue to happen? So when he would be fired from places, it's very rare that he would that someone would actually report a doctor to the medical board. So they would take, like I said, they would take away their privileges, but they wouldn't actually report them to anybody. So this would happen. This happened at several hospitals, like in the Dallas area where he would work there for a little while. And he would only do like a handful of surgeries before they would be like, you can't operate here anymore. And he would go somewhere else. And there was one person who he told her like, he couldn't operate her on the same at the same hospital. Like he needed to send her to a different hospital to operate on her there. And it was one where it was like they were at a really nice. I think it was still at the Dallas Medical Center, where it's like a major hospital. And he sent them to like kind of like one in like a rough neighborhood. And they're like, "What's that about?" And he was like, "Oh, like they have this technology there that they don't have here. That like I really need to do your surgery." But in reality, it was because he his, wasn't allowed to practice. His privileges there. were revoked, right? So he needed to go to this other hospital to be able to work there. So no one turned him in. And when Dr. Henderson, which Dr. Henderson is the first person to start saying, like, calling hospitals and saying, do not let this man operate. Yeah. Like, he is dangerous. Kill people. And they were talking about how. He had been asked, like, is it normal for you to be asked to take over someone's surgery? And he was like, usually if somebody comes to me and asks, it's the other, it's the surgeon who's done it. They will either say, like, you know, there's there's something that they didn't expect that's come up that they need, you know, that they need assistance or that something went wrong or they're afraid there's something that they haven't seen before. That was the first time in his career ever that an administrator, the administrator of the hospital, came to him and was like, Will you work on this person who another doctor worked on? Oh my god! Because it's not right, and we've had to take away. Like he, he, we don't think he should be able to work here anymore. And he's like, he shouldn't be able to work anywhere ever again. Um, and a lot of people talked about Dr. Henderson, where they were like, Dr. Henderson, like this is not like him. He's super mellow. He's laid back. He never wants to mind anybody's business. Like this was unlike him. So this was definitely like a he saw someone who was dangerous Mm -hmm. and needed to not be operating on people anymore and actively like fought to do something about it. Yes. Um, Wow. If a doctor is fired from a hospital, the hospital should report it immediately. That's how problem doctors are prevented from getting hired elsewhere. But the places where Dr. Dunch operated failed to report him to the proper authorities. If they had, maybe Dunch's path of destruction would have been stopped much sooner. 
Um, that scares me so much from like ever wanting to go to a doctor. I'm like already I'm afraid because I know, of whatever and I'm bill already I'm afraid get. of doctor and surgery. Right, exactly. Like this only made that worse for me. Um, and I'm telling like this, my jaw was dropped during so much of listening to this show. Um, so there's this clip that they play on the podcast a lot. Um, it's like in the beginning where it's from like a video that was on his website where there's this lady talking about like Dr. Dunch is the best doctor I've ever seen. He is one great man. Like it's like a whole thing about how he's like a great doctor. And the host of the show had been, um, she had tried to find who this woman was and like couldn't find her anywhere, couldn't figure out who she was. And so she ultimately was like, this woman was probably like an actor, like Mm -hmm. not really a patient. After the show had come out, a girl from Dallas in Dallas was listening to the show and she was like, holy shit, that's my mom. <gasps> yeah. And she was like, mom, we've got to reach out to them and talk to them. And she was a real patient who he ultimately made worse, but that was before he made her worse. So he had worked with her once or twice and relieved like some pressure in her neck. And the people in his office Basically, they said that he had won this award from Best Docs, Did which he give turns it to out, uh, right? It turns out it's really like a network that he paid to be a part of, and as part of it, they made this promotional video. But they told her that it was because he had won an award, and that his like the the people who worked in his office, like she was their favorite patient, and she was just so nice, and they just all really liked her, and that was why they picked her to be in the video. But ultimately, she was another one of his victims where he left her in worse pain, right, because he gave her a botched surgery. So what does she have to say? Or what did she say to the podcast people or the documentary people? Her thing was really sad because there were a couple people who were on the podcast that said that, like, they found Dr. Dunch and saw that video and that was part of why they went to him. And to her, that was devastating, was that she wanted to get it out there that he's not a great person and that, like, her biggest regret was having done this video and the idea that anybody would have gone to him because of her testimonial. Oh, that's so horrible. Yeah. I feel so bad for her. It was rough, yeah. So what, is she paralyzed now? Or? She, I don't think she's paralyzed because she ended up going to another doctor pretty quickly. Yeah. But, I mean, he left her in a lot of pain. Wow. Um... I'm trying to think of where that pops up. Yeah. Uh, You may remember the woman in the infomercial about Dr. Dunch who admiringly calls him, quote, one great man and claims he'll fix you. Laura Beale wasn't able to get in touch with her when she first reported the series. She guessed that the woman must have been a paid actress or perhaps even the rare patient who had a good result from Dr. Dunch. But then the woman in the video reached out after hearing her voice in Dr. Death, and the real story turned out to be much stranger. In this special episode, we also hear from a juror who helped to deliver the verdict in the trial of Christopher Dunch. So Dr. Henderson had recruited another person, Dr. Kirby, who had seen some results of Dr. Dunch's work, and the two of them basically were working together and calling the medical board and calling all the hospitals. But no one would actually, like, do anything to reprimand him. So they ultimately went to the police and they were like, we don't know how to do this. We got to do something. Because this has never been done before, but we have to do something to get this man out of the operating room before he injures or kills more people. He had two people die. Floella Brown ended up dying. The first woman of the two women that he worked on, like, back to back on Mm -hmm. those two days. The first woman ended up dying. Um, But there was another person who died as well. But he... Um, paralyzed or injured multiple people. Dr. Hennison and Dr. Kirby were screaming for anyone who might listen to help them with Dr. Dunch to stop operating. Kirby wrote to the Texas Medical Board. He and Henderson went to the police, but no one was listening. And like I said, because with the police, it was unprecedented, where no one had been... They didn't know how to handle it. Right. No Mm -hmm. one had ever been gone after for something that they did in the operating room as, like, malicious. But basically, they tried to prove, and enough that, like, he was found guilty by the jurors, but they had to prove that, like... Based on his own track record, because they only tried him, I think, for one for the woman who died. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was uh, she was elderly, which apparently I didn't know that attacks against the elderly are treated like hate crimes. Yes. So that's like a heavier sentence for attacking an elderly person. Um, But they basically went after him like there's no way with your track record that you could have believed you were going to do anything 
butt hurt this woman. And you did. Oh. Um, and ultimately he was found guilty. So what's he serving? He is... And where is he? Is he in Huntsville? Uh, medical license and revocation and criminal conviction. In March 2014, three former patients of Dunge, Mary Eford, Kenneth Fennell, and Lee Passmore, filed separate federal court suits against Baylor Plano, alleging that Baylor allowed Dunge to perform surgeries despite knowing that he was a dangerous physician. Texas Attorney General Greg Abbott filed a motion to intervene in the suits to defend Baylor Plano, citing the Texas legislature's 2003 statute that placed a medical malpractice cap of $250,000 along with the statute's removal of the term gross negligence from the definition of legal malice. That was the thing that they talked about in the thing too. Like there's a cap in Texas that you the most you can sue somebody for for medical malpractice is $250,000. That's such bullshit. Right. So it's like what about these people who like literally can't walk? Like he paralyzed these people. He ruined their entire life. He ruined life. their lives. But the most that they could, like, sue him for is $250,000. In 2017, he was convicted of first-degree felony in the maiming of Mary Eford during a spinal fusion surgery. In July 2015, approximately a year and a half after his license was revoked, Dr. Dunch was arrested in Dallas County and faced five felony counts of aggravated assault causing serious bodily injury and one count of injury to a child, elderly, or disabled person. He was an elderly person. Yeah. Following a jury trial, he was convicted on the latter count on February 20th, 2017. He was sentenced to life in prison. Good. His defense blamed poor training and control by the hospitals. All four hospitals that employed Dunch have an ongoing civil case against them. On December 11th, 2018, the Texas Court of Appeals affirmed Dunch's conviction because he tried to get it overturned by a two-to-one split decision because... They tried to argue that the <laughs> the evidence of the previous botched surgeries was prejudicial because they're just trying to prove that he did willfully maim Mary Eford, so they should only be able to present at that evidence. Mm. But the prosecution was like, no, we're establishing a pattern of behavior. This shows he should have known that he was only going to make it worse for her. Yes. Um and the conviction was held. He didn't get an appeal. Yeah, he shouldn't. Um, he gets, I think, one more chance to appeal, and he may be up for parole in a certain amount of time. But like, but he'll never practice he would be medicine really old. again. He'll never practice medicine ever again. I just, ugh, I don't care if you do have that. I'm gonna get this right attitude. I don't, At a certain a, point, yeah. you've got to. Put your hands up and say, maybe this isn't for me. I can't do this. This isn't for me. Maybe I should see when I go do my visits with my patients that they're all fucking paralyzed and I'm supposed to make them better, that maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. Right. No, it's horrible. Um, And listening, yeah. So listening to this podcast, even knowing what, what I've already told you, like, listen to this podcast it will, like, I've never been so, like, upset I was like, I feel like podcast. it'll make me really upset. I was, like, angry, but also, like, there are parts where they will describe the things that he did to people's spines, and I would, like, it's, like, gut-wrenching. We're just, like, oh, my God. Just the very, like I said, I'm already freaked out by doctors and surgeries and hospitals and stuff, but the very idea that these people, like, went to him for help, these were people who were already in pain and already hurting, mm-hmm. and they went to him, and he made them worse. Like, that's fucking horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm glad he's put away. Me too. Fuck him. He's Dr. Fuckface. Dr. Fuckface. There was also drama around, so... Dr. Death, the podcast, had purchased a billboard, um, had rented a billboard, and it was directly across the street from Baylor Plano, which is, like, one of the major hospitals that he operated at. Um, And it was, I'm trying to think, they said it was only up for, like, a few hours before... Like, it got taken down. I was like, I know exactly where that hospital is. That's I'm from that area. Yeah. Um, so they, the producers called Comcast to figure out, like, what that was about. And they said something about how, like, it had adult content on it. And you can't have adult content on a billboard near, like, within a mile of, like, a school or a hospital or something else. Right, exactly. And then that was why it got taken down. 
But they were like, I don't understand what on it was like adult content. There's like a picture of a hand and a scalpel. Yeah, I was like, I'm looking at it. It's a hand and a scalpel. It's because they were the ones involved and they let him practice. Right. That's why. And well, and the other thing is that Baylor Plano gives a lot of money to Comcast for billboards and for other things. And they have a feeling that the administrators from Baylor Plano called Comcast and Comcast took it down immediately. Of course. But it was only up for a few hours. And then there was like all this like conspiracy theory that it was part of like a marketing thing where it was like they blacked out their own billboard. Right. There was like all this drama around it. Wow. So yeah. Yeah, it's like that's right at the George Bush Turnpike. Yes. And that's Dr. Jeff. Damn. I was like, that's crazy. The minute you started saying that, my mom has had like a lot of back surgeries and stuff, but it was all before he was practicing. Which is good. But I'm like, oh my God, what if? Because we lived in the Plano. I think she only saw people in Dallas mm-hmm. at the Dallas, but at Dallas Baylor is where my dad died. Yeah. Damn. That's just crazy. It is crazy. And there's a promo for another podcast, so go listen to Dr. Death, you guys. Please do. Listen to Dr. Death. Do- Dirty John was fun, but it was like, it wasn't until the end that I was like, oh, shit, because she stabbed she in the fucking in the eye. Um, girl after my own heart. But Dr. Death, yeah, like, every minute of it is like, holy shit. Like, just completely, like, breathtaking, jaw-dropping, gut-wrenching, like, insane. Whew. All righty. Do you have a lighter fetish five? Or is it a malpractice fetish five? It's not a malpractice fetish five, but I I was going to talk about medical fetish. I was like, is it people who are into like open heart surgery or something? Not actual. No. They Um, just like to pretend to play operation? It's like a grown up way of playing doctor, basically. Medical fetishism refers to a number of sexual fetishes involving objects, practices, environments, and situations of a medical or clinical nature. Yeah. What are you laughing about? Playing doctor? <laughs> I'm just like, well, I guess if I was going to have to play doctor, I would want someone to be a gynecologist. <laughs> While you're down there, can you make sure everything looks okay? Feel around for lumps. Right? Give me a pap smear while you're down there, please. In sexual role play, a hospital or medical scene involves the sex partners assuming the roles of doctors, nurses, surgeons, and patients to act out specific or general medical fetishes. Medical fantasy is a genre in pornography, though the fantasy may not necessarily involve pornography or sexual activity. Medical fetishism may involve sexual attraction to respiratory therapy involving oxygen via nasal cannula or any sort of masks, medical practitioners, medical uniforms, hospital gowns, anesthesia, intimate examinations such as rectal examinations, gynecological examinations, urological, uh, andrological, rectal temperature taking, catheterization, diapering, enemas, injections, Insertions such as suppository insertions, menstrual cup insertions, or prostate massage, medical devices such as orthopedic casts and orthopedic braces. See also abasiophilia, dental objects such as dental braces, retainers, and headgear, medical restraints, and medical gags. Some people eroticize about intimate examinations as part of a medical fetish, and as such are common service offered by professional dominants. An intimate examination can form part of a scene in a medical play where the nurse or doctor inflicts one or more embarrassing and humiliating quasi-medical procedures on the patient. Often frozen or heated objects are inserted into the patient's body to simulate an uncomfortable sensation that can occur during a real examination. Examinations may include an examination and intrusion of the anus, urethra, or vagina, as well as handling and twisting of the penis, testicles, clitoris, and nipples. Quite often, uh, strap-on play is also incorporated, as this can heighten the intimacy and also the sensations of the patient. This may be a prelude to masturbation or administration of an enema. Before examination, the patient can be placed in physical restraints and gagged and wear some form of embarrassing clothing. Um, There's a temperature-taking fetish and a sexual fetish for oral thermometers and rectal thermometers. This may include the sexual attraction to the equipment, processes, environments, or scenarios and situations. Sexual arousal from the desire to take another's temperature or to have one's temperature taken is primarily what surrounds the fetish. While rectal temperature-taking is more prominent, there is also an interest in oral temperature-taking. As far as anesthesia fetishism... 
Anesthesia fetishism is a sexual fetish for anesthesia. This may include the sexual attraction to the equipment, processes, substances, effects, environments, or situations, sexual arousal from the desire to administer anesthesia, or the sexual desire for oneself to be anesthetized are two forms in which an individual may exist as an arbiter of the fetish. Older style anesthesia masks of black rubber still in occasional use today are one of the more common elements fetishized and have earned the nickname Black Beauty by many fetishists. So basically the entire dentist scene in Little Shop of Horrors is Oh yeah, that's this. legit. I don't know. I I guess it might be for some people, but I'm immediately just like thrown back to the last time I went to the gynecologist and they were like, oh, by the way, my student's going to come in and observe as well. And I'm like in the stirrups, just like, I mean, I guess, sure. Like that right. doesn't turn me on at mm -hmm. all. The cold feeling of tongs. Nope, not into it. The only time I like my temperature being taken is if it means I might get to skip school or work. Yeah. And to be clear, uh, anesthesia is, that kind of fetish is considered a form of edge play, which edge play we've talked about before is just like more dangerous BDSM. It's BDSM yeah. that actually could involve you getting to kill you. actually right hurt or like killed. When realized outside the boundaries of fantasy and may result in various degrees of harm or death, fantasies are elaborated by the viewing of images and reading of stories of anesthetic inductions. Edge play may involve obtaining and seeing with various anesthesia-related paraphernalia, usually anesthesia masks for breath play, the acquisition of anesthetics for anesthetizing others or being anesthetized oneself, and the occupation of a medical setting or environment for the same practice. Some anesthesia fetishists who seek to be anesthetized may feign or induce medical conditions in an attempt to obtain general anesthesia from medical personnel. This is considered safer than playing with anesthetic agents outside of a medical setting, but may nevertheless be an abuse of all concerned. All right, then. People are weird. Yeah, I'm like, that's not our weirdest one. It's not. What do you think is the weirdest one? Um, weird or like too much? Too much would probably have to be vor and blood play. Yeah, really. That would be too much okay. for me. I think I'm. I have such an an opposition to the piercing of skin. Like I'm good. Like if a surgery, like like if the body's already open and yeah. they're working around inside, cool. I'm on board. I do not want to watch the incision. I sure. don't like watching skin being like cut and broken. So well, the idea that you're going to vor, gonna... it's not literal. With blood play, it is. It's an actual cutting of and blood. Yeah, but I mean, vor it's is not... more like a theoretical. Like I'm going to eat you up. Like, yeah, I'm I think eat that's you alive. I think that's gross. But I'm not actually. I'm like, that. but then I also think of, and I'll probably talk about this true crime at some point. But the guy who really did seek out to eat someone and the dude was like I would love it if someone cut my dick off and ate it and I watched him and they were like cool let's do that and then he died and the um, guy didn't even eat his dick he tried to but it was too chewy I'm not I even can't. kidding I was like, he was like I can't he I was can't. like oh I just he's like you know what I have a thing about textures I really can't handle this I really need to let me uh can I try to bread it let me throw some it's panko in it I mean, um, you fish fish lately <laughs> alright uh yeah I think those are probably my like two up to a certain degree, like, upsetting ones. I guess the other really upsetting one is anyone who's into pedophilia, like, anyone who's into people who are way younger than them. But, but like, like, way younger meaning, like, under the age of 15. Sure. But remember also that when we talked about, yeah, like, age play and stuff, that's not literal. They're it's not like literal, a, but It's not literal. Still. It's a grown-up who's like, I'm and, a child, but they're not actually a child. Which is different from somebody who actually wants to have about it. But, like, you want to... I... Ugh, I and then, yeah, I guess the diapers, if you want to sit in your own filth. That's pretty gross. Yeah, the diaper thing to me is too much. Yeah, so that's really gross. Thank you, Stephanie, as always, for our gross fetish. <laughs> not gross. You're They're not always welcome. gross. Thank you for our fetish fives. They're very informative. And uh, you guys maybe do a little bit of a background research on your doctors. How about please, please do. do a, is there, I think there's a website where you can like cross-reference your doctor. Yeah, like Best Docs. BestDocs.com. IsMyDoctorAMurderer.com. Best Oxes who endorsed him with a video about one great man. Never mind. Don't go to Best Docs. So as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you want to 
please go leave us a review, shoot us an email, message us on Instagram. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and our email is all under at deadtime stories with a Z, all one word. Uh, and then if you're going to email us, it's at gmail.com. We are still giving away stickers. We have plenty of stickers, so please leave us a review, preferably five stars with something nice to say. Send us a screenshot, slip it into our DMs with your address, and we'll slip you a sticker in the mail. Yes. Also, like I said, I basically put my own self-worth value in how many emails I get from you guys. So let's keep it coming because I'm feeling kind of mediocre, but it's getting better. I'm getting some more emails. Getting some more emails. Uh, But we love hearing from you guys. Send us your ghost stories. Send us your thoughts. Send us whatever you your ghost sticks. Send us your ghost sticks. Send us some love. Dick dressed up as a ghost. I know, and we're only eight episodes away from our potential Patreon release. So in a minute, send us your money. Yeah, keep it ready. Get them wallets out, baby, because we're gonna take it. We should do like a, a old school telethon. I know. I was gonna say. Remember, yes, our goal. Remember, is gonna be monthly. Preferably $15. Uh, It takes $14 a month to keep this podcast going for you guys. Uh, And that's just like paying for our SoundCloud. That's not paying for our time or our research or anything like that. That's just paying for our SoundCloud. So if we get $15 a month, that actually turns us a profit of $1 a month. Split between the two of us, that's 50 whole cents. We can buy a piece of bubblegum. We could buy two pieces of bubble gum from the old school machines. From oh, my old timey machine, sure. I think Acme still got them. Acme up the street. Or we could get a sticker mm. from the machine up the street. Not the one that tattooed mom with the ketchup in it. Yeah, it doesn't work. I know. I know. It's real sad. I lost subject. a dollar trying to get me a narwhal sticker. Well, tell her to send that dollar to us on Patreon on instead. Patreon. Yeah. So thank, thank you, you guys. So Check in next week for another episode. I'm Sarah. Uh, I'm Stephanie. (laughs) And this has been Dead Time Stories. Thanks for listening. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Curtison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. 